0: Welcome back to the program. And Father Nagel is going to lead us with a scripture reading and a prayer.
1: This is, again, I um, thought we'd choose something from the um, kind of the eschatological part, uh, apocalyptic part of Mark. So this is Mark um, 13 and 24 and th- through 26. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Good and gracious God, we do ask you in this um, last month of our year that we might be attentive to our end and to the end of creation, that we might be always acting, speaking, praying, thinking in those terms, remembering that we have... a. A telos, an end, and so give us that sensitivity of um, priorities and the final end, which is you, and help us in that journey, we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
2: Amen.
0: Thank you so much, Father Nagel. Uh, so today in the program, we'll talk about the, um, the, the gift of being uh, reflective and meditating on these four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and I think it's important to do that today. Uh, I want to start, though, with something that, um, again, putting you fathers on the spot just a little bit. uh, The Office of Readings today, this is again on Friday, Friday the 5th of November, uh, the reading was from Daniel. I don't know if you remember the reading in the Office of Readings. It um, talked about the, um, actually, this isn't, this doesn't have... Did I read the wrong reading this Yeah, story? I think you did. You I know, think it's I Second think it from 2nd
2: Maccabees. Oh, man. But it's still having to do with the uh, end times. It's, uh, they're praying for the, the dead who had the idols around their necks. And so I'm exposed. Uh-oh. I, I,
0: I should have... You know what? I, I have not been using my Divine Office app. I've been relying on my own tabs. Oh. And I think I landed on the wrong week of the year because uh, I was reading about Daniel encountering an angel... And the description of the angel was an awful lot like this description of encountering Jesus in revelation one. And it just got me thinking about the relationship between angels and God and how angels don't just, they're not just messengers of God, but they actually bear the very presence of divinity in their lives. And the impact it had on Daniel was the same impact that it, the presence of Christ had on John. He just fell down like drained of life. And it, it, I thought it was going to be a. I thought it was going to be a brilliant entry point into the conversation today, and I just blown out of the water there, Fathers. So, well, I'm That'd glad that it
1: was, that it was your mistake, i I Thinking, am I writing the wrong thing? I'm, I'm, off. I'm off. I've been praying in the wrong office for month for weeks. Maybe or I'm, I'm was, in the wrong oh, volume. Oh my <laughs>
0: goodness! So, as I was saying, in the office of readings today, in the second book of Maccabees, it talks about praying for the dead. So. Uh, actually, it does. Look at that! Isn't that great? Uh, this is that famous passage in uh, this. All Catholic apologists know right. this great passage in Second Maccabees chapter 12 that talks about the um, the praying for those that have died, and that's doing a good thing. So, Father uh, Father Lewis, you're nodding your head. This is this is a familiar passage to you. Why don't we Why don't we launch off there?
2: <laughs> a familiar passage, and also a, you know I I like Father Nagel. Feel affirmed that I. I read the right passage this morning. <laughs> I thought maybe I was in the wrong volume in this entire time. But, but uh, yeah, this uh, for those who don't know the story, in, in the first and second books of Maccabees, they're like in the historical narrative in many parts on on that time between Alexander the Great and the coming of Christ and the the turmoil that was going on. And this particular passage is um, they've just fought a battle, The the, the Jews led by Judas Maccabeus, and and they won and they went back uh the matter was urgent they needed to find and gather their their uh, fallen comrades and um and give them a proper burial and as they were doing so they find out that those particular fallen had been wearing um like an uh, um like a a talisman or uh something around their around their necks underneath their their tunics that they couldn't obviously see and, and those who died or all of them who died were wearing these these idols and so it became, a, uh, it became evident, you know, God's providence made it, made it known why these men had fallen in battle. And then what Judas and the survivors do is they take up a collection and send the collection to Jerusalem so that a sacrifice could be made for the uh, expiation of the sins of those who had fallen in battle. So, and then the commentator of Second Maccabees is going to say this would be a useless gesture if there were no resurrection of the dead. Uh, and so, but... There is a resurrection, that it, so this is a good and noble thing that he did. And so uh, it begins with, uh, they prayed for them that they might make atone for the dead, that they, the dead, might be freed from this sin. And so it's a um, it's, uh, scriptural evidence and indication of, uh, of what we now, as Catholics, recognize the reality of purgatory, in that we can pray for our fallen brethren, our beloved dead, um, for whatever sins they may still have clinging to them or, or uh, trappings of the earth, that they be purged of that so they can be gained full admittance into heaven.
0: See, I was um, I was listening to a a, a sermon online uh, about All Souls Day. No, it was all it was All Souls Day, and it was about the um, the efficacy, the fruitfulness in one's own spiritual life of praying for the souls in purgatory. And it's something that I used to do with um, with a great sense of um, consistency. It was a it was a, it was a, a real part of my devotional life was praying for the souls in purgatory, and. I actually have moved a a bit away from that to praying for souls that are near to death but far from God. It was sort of the Fatima message where it was like, no, you get the souls on this side that are at risk of falling into hell and put the focus there for divine intervention so that they'd be saved. Well, this homily got me to remember, oh goodness, there's there's a, a real beautiful benefit that could come to me as well from praying for the souls in purgatory. And that was, what do you think these souls will be remembering when they get to heaven. Who do you think that they're going to be um, interceding for when they get to heaven? They're going to remember you who were praying and offering sacrifices and doing good works to help them finish their race, finish their purification. And and the funny thing was, I never thought of that. I never Mm. really, I'd never been engaged in that devotion with the idea that Oh, I'm going to have some really like happy souls in heaven who just are going to be like praying for my protection and blessing and praying me out of purgatory when I get there. Hope to God. So I, I don't know. What do you think about that, Father Nagel? Does that do you have any sense of like a connection to the a devotion to the holy souls and to uh, or even just to that 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 line of thinking about efficacy for your spiritual life?
1: I. I do pray for. I, I think it was it's probably years ago on, on the show. I think um, I, I mentioned that I, you know, when I when I go to confession, I usually do adoration every day. It's, you can get an indulgence um, if you do adoration, that's the sacrament, uh, exposition, and and uh, you know the usual. Um, and I usually offer that up for the um, for those who have no one else to pray for them. Um, so, usually, you know, oftentimes, it's, whether it's a weekly or bi-weekly thing, but I I have to admit, I didn't, I haven't really thought that, you know, it's kind of that one hand washes the other aspect of it, that, that these are people who, um, and I don't know who they are at this point, you know, it's, I, I just kind of offer that for those who have nobody else to pray for them, but um, that I'll have intercessors myself for that, no doubt, that uh, a friendship of some of a sort will, will spring up here, or at least a... A sense of connection. So I hadn't really thought about that either. So and again, I'm, I think, wow, that's better, doing better than I thought. <laughs> How about you, Father Lewis?
2: I have thought about that, that on, you know, on and off, that uh, if I'm praying for the souls in purgatory and helping them in some measure that I'm trusting and hoping that they'll be able to return the favor. And I think of like, by way of analogy, um, you know, like a, like an NFL football game where you know the stars of the show are on the field but the thousands of fans around them and cheering them on and somehow the they're cheering you know at least in the minds of the fans it's going to have an impact on the outcome of the game and i remember this uh this uh clip i'd seen i think it was uh it was uh Philip Rivers when he was still playing i think he just retired a very solid catholic also he's the quarterback for the San Diego Chargers back when they were in San Diego and um and i think he personally at one play the quarterback ran in for a touchdown and and at the end zone there was a group of sisters in the front row and so he went right to them and gave them the game ball at that moment and um and all the rest and all these other adoring fans so they were like cheering for him and he kind of returned the favor and of course he would be drawn to the sisters because he's catholic and i like that idea too that he's in the contest he's in the battlefield and and uh and when the battle is won then he can go and personally thank those that were helping him all along in this case the sisters who were cheering for him and i thought that was a nice image of kind of what i uh, reaffirming kind of what i hope and pray for all along that i'm helping them i hope they'll help me in return
0: so you know it's um it, it's it's a devotion that doesn't get a lot of attention today okay. it it's something that um i think sadly it takes our eyes off of um one of the like hooks one of the the connecting points to these four last things the four last things eschatology the study of these last realities death judgment heaven and hell it's a traditional way of of learning theology uh one of the traditional treatises in theology is eschatology or the study of the final realities the last things and um I think that that's helpful, and, and we, we can start in on it today. I don't think we'll get through it since I've got almost three pages of uh, catechism <laughs> quotes here, and we haven't been that good at uh, really getting through this. Um, but um, with that said, um, when I think about things that have been unfolding in the world in the last 19 months, we now, you know, we now track our like life in relationship to when COVID shut everything down. You know, it's kind of weird. March 16th, 2020, Hmm. right? Things shut down. And and it's like, okay, how many months since then? And then I hope to God it's not going to be years. But um, one of the things that has come up, and I hear commentators, Catholic commentators, talk about as the destructive impacts of this in, in whatever dimensions is, is this the end of the world? Is this the time of Christ's second coming? Or is this more... The end of an age that, you know, it, it, it's not the end of the world, but things as we knew it are ending sort of like the end of the Roman Empire, right? There's there's going to be a fundamental collapse, and then there's going to have to be a time of rebuilding. And so I, I'm interested in your discernment on that, fathers. Uh, you know, just don't give me a date. <laughs> don't give me a date and time for Christ's return. Just don't do that. But other than that, I'm really interested in your, have you thought about it? Have, you, have people asked you about it? Do you think people are thinking about this like the the final realities now more because of what's happening in the world?
2: I've uh, thought about it but only in brief passing. I've not had many people ask about it because uh you know Father Nago's the uh, you know the 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 historian of this group of course, but I I, I know history enough. I've read history enough. I know that uh, the the church and the world have been tougher spots before and and uh, I mean this is pretty bad and you know the the, not just the the covid stuff but um the political situation in the west and and um the the state of the church and all this other stuff i think all these put together can definitely cause a can cause a panic i think in some that um this this must be it but i don't know i just i just feel like um you know we've been in tougher spots before and and survived that and, and christ didn't come then and I don't see all this as signs that Christ is coming anytime soon necessarily but uh, I'll okay, give it so a date. do you do you, feel, do
0: you feel like it's an end of an age? Like now the, that's the world good. that we knew is actually going away and it's not returning.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I I had not thought about that. If it's in the end of if it's the end of an age, um I I wouldn't um, I don't know if it's that even um because that's th- pretty dramatic too. That's pretty dramatic too. I I don't see I mean when the black plague happened and that was like a 3 year long uh you know epidemic from like 1340 something to almost 1350 I think and um and and that was even that kind of that didn't mark the end of an era I don't think. You know, it was in the midst of the high me- medieval ages I think or getting to the end of that and and still life plugged away and the Holy Roman Catholic Church was still going the Holy Roman Empire was still going on and and um, um, I think that certain things and how we proceed with life um, have changed, but I wouldn't even call that the end uh, the 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 change of an era. Um, you know, now if a major nation's collapse, I think that's one thing, but I don't I don't see this as uh, the collapse of the the immediate collapse of the United States. I think it's there's a decay going on, but that's that's been commented on since uh, since Pope John Paul II. You know, a decay in Western western um uh modernity and western europe and so on and um, anyway I, I don't see it as an end of an age either father Nagel.
1: given my i guess part of its temperament I, i'm more pessimistic than father lewis but um in me which is the historian in me but i i you know is it the end of time and stuff well again we as i've said many times we have a perfect record of getting that wrong <laughs> um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I guess the, I, I do. I do see it as a, as an end. I, I do see it as an apocalypse in the sense of a revealing of a, of an end of certainly at least that. In um, I guess what I would point at in terms of that is I, I do see. I've I actually preached about this, so it's no, uh, no secret to my, to my parishioners at least the back in the Holy Family in terms of. I I do see a fall of the American p- Republic happening in the sense of a huge shift in terms of who we are and and we, again we we are a people who is, were founded upon classical liberalism, which is a creation of the 16th and 1700s in England, really. And and that that political ideology is going away. Um, you can have progressivism on this one hand and, and something else on on the other, but I think that the, some of the basic Ideas of classical liberalism, which has nothing to do with what we call liberalism you know liberals today in politics it 's just look at the look at the Bill of rights um, that that 's classical liberalism um, and I think that those values are kind of disappearing and I think if America is a, i think there 'll still be something like called call the united states there 'll still be something there uh, here but I think that there 's a regime change and, and it 's a decay as as father Lewis says, and that has ramifications and it 's just part of an ongoing um, worldwide situation, I think, in terms of a collapse of authority. But I also think just about the human person. And I think I plug part of this into technology and where technology is going, whether it's, you know, um, again, the, just the, the computer and, and Internet and artificial intelligence and all that sort of stuff, what it says about the human person. And so I think that there's a decay and a dissolving of of the human person that's that's going on that is, I think, very troubling. And so, if if I was going to say the end of time, I don't know about the galaxies or something, but in terms of our species, I think something big is happening. And it, is it? Do I guarantee that it's you know one way trip down? I no, I, I I'm not I'm not sure, but I do see something uh, ominous happening in terms of just who we are and how we see ourselves. Um so I do see bigger things happening, I guess, than, than Father Lewis does, but again, I know, I haven't had a voice tell me a date or time or something like that. But I, I, I just from again part of this probably is historical, but also part of it I think there's a spiritual sense of um of something going on too that's that's big. So I guess that's the best I could say.
0: So I have a question. Um I when I think about is this like the time of Christ's return? Uh, Of course, I say I don't know, but I actually say I hope so. Uh, I think a lot of people think of the end of the world as a threat, or Christ's return as a threat. Like, it's a bad thing, and let's hold it off. Like I'm like, come, quickly. Let's go, Lord. (laughs) Please be done with this, like the horrors of sin. Um, Do you ever pray for the end of the world? Like, uh, How do you think about the end of the world? Father Lewis has just moved to the (laughs) microphone. He is ready to talk. Father Nagel, you don't get to go first this time. Oh,
2: (laughs) I, 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 uh, I, do, uh, I do pray for Christ's coming. You know, The end of the world makes it sound like you know, the world is going to blow up or something like that. But in private prayer, I've, I've, I've thought like you, like, let's, just, let's just get this over with, particularly in those days when things are like, this is uh, not a personal bad day. I kind of like observe what's going on in society and like, uh, enough's enough. Do you ever say like, Lord, why do you put up with us? Just, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm serious.
0: Yeah. I say that. I, I, I repent on behalf of the whole world. Yeah. I, I've come before God so many times. I tend to do it outside, like just looking up at the sky. Cause like, I need to like see the whole universe. And I'm like, God, you are so big and so powerful and so good and so wise. And I am on behalf of all humanity. I am so sorry mm-hmm. that we're living like this, that this is how we live in, 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 in your presence. I, I don't know. I, I've, I do that. I used to do that quite a bit. I don't do it quite as much anymore. I think I'm too busy. So <laughs> I, now I, I think I should be doing it more. Father Nagel, is this any, making any sense to you or do I need to see a psychologist? Uh,
1: well, we can talk Maybe about both. that <laughs> offline, but um, I I do think, for me, I, I don't, I'm not sure it's that much more I remember what, I think it was Joe Lewis, the boxer, said, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And so I, I do think in some sense I see the end of the world kind of like death in that, an individual's death, in that, yeah, I, I, I want it, but I just don't like the transition getting there. Um, you know, I, I'm not looking forward to dying, but afterwards, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so I, I sort of think of that in terms of the end of time as well. I think, you know, again, it would be... a, a I think horrific time. I, I don't think it's all gonna just get better, better, better and then Jesus comes. I think it's gonna be a collapse, collapse, collapse and then as you say, you know, Jesus said, Okay, let's just ring the curtain down on this thing. Um, so I would not look forward to that experience, but I would look forward to Jesus coming, just not the preparation for it or the 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 final act, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I um uh Think about this idea of uh, I want to get to heaven. I don't want to die. Um, Someone told me about this. I mentioned it on a program last week. I'll mention it to you fathers and see if, if this is like what, or this is like, Oh yeah, I've heard that too. Um, Transhumanism, this idea that there's an entire movement attempting to get human beings to be essentially immortal, to not die by somehow like disconnecting their brain or their head and Or adapting their body technologically, medically, biologically, so that they don't die. Um, and, and I had not, I mean, I'd heard the phrase transhumanism, but I didn't know that, I never connected it to that idea. Um, and, and I'm like, whoa, that's kind of weird. And, and for me, it's weird because it, it was what St. Augustine identified in the post-fallen world as the only hopeless state. Uh, before, he, he basically said, and you've heard me say this before, Father Nagel, but it's worth repeating now as we talk about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, death, that, um, that death was not part of God's plan, that before the fall, uh, Adam and Eve had the possibility of not dying. That was This is Augustine. And he said, after the fall, the only hopeless condition is being, having it be impossible to die, not being able to get out. Not being able to get out of a fallen world where there's death, where there's suffering and pain and, and brokenness and, and all these disordered passions and all that. He said, that's the only hopeless state, is being unable to get out. And yet, demonically today, you have people striving to say, let's create the conditions where we will never die. Isn't that fascinating? Like, just like this reversal, this reversal of a Christian perspective on life and death, and let's call it a, a, a perspective that is absolutely enclosed and limited by the bounds of this world, and what we are conscious of in this world. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, Father Nagel?
1: Well, that's what I was sort of referring to when I was, just a moment ago, when I, I say I see this as the end of the age, and, and possibly the end of hum, the human species. By that, I mean it, it could be something, nuclear war, biological warfare, or something like that, but but again, another possibility would be that transhumanism, where again one of the ideas is that you would be able to upload your the, the electrical you, who whatever is happening in your brain, into a computer, and so you would still retain you you know your identity, but you wouldn't be attached to any. Biological, organic body, or anything. Okay,
0: so that's even beyond what I came up with. Yeah. So, so that's, that idea, but that's so what that's what, uploading people, your consciousness. Yeah. Like your, yeah. Okay, so,
1: wow. so that would be the sort of Silicon no, Valley. No, thank people. you. Well, <laughs> but people are are that's that's the goal, and and, and there are powerful people down in Silicon Valley who are, you know, again wanting this, desiring this, working for this, and and again, it, but I would say it's going to be the end of humanity. Maybe not the end of the earth or something, but we're no longer, you know. We're we're in flesh creatures. I mean, and so this is you know again talking about the end. I would say that's that's those are the dangers where I say this is our technology is uh, again it's getting us into all sorts of trouble because we can't handle it. And so anyway, I I see that as 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 um, as possible. I I don't know if they'll ever be able to do it. Maybe who knows? But if they do, it's you know. I think it's a brilliant idea, though, of what you just mentioned, Tom. In terms of, yeah, that's you, we are stuck. I, we, you know, think about even non-Christian religions. The, the idea of reincarnation—that's not a great thing to be reborn again. You're stuck in there. The, the, the ultimate point of those religions is to get out, uh, and get out of that uh, groundhog day repeating of life. You know, so uh, I think there's an insight there that we have as well, saying, you know. Um, we're all striving to get out of this earth to this other realm and closer contact with God. So, I, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I think that's um, it, it's definitely something that people are thinking about, and as technology increases, I think that that's going to be a temptation.
2: Father Lewis. Well, I just was thinking, like, where does where does this come from? Where did that flip come from where St. Augustine says that's the most hopeless condition is to not be able to die, and now we're, now we're getting things like, you know, the metaverse by facebook and so on these new ways to you know potentially perpetuate our our cognition i guess and you know if we've lost a sense of god and we've jettisoned god as a as a as a world in many ways pretty pretty successfully and pretty consistently for a while then if there's no god then then why in the world would we fret about sin so there's we've lost a sense of sin and if we've lost a sense of sin then We've lost a sense of why there is death in the first place, as a remedy for sin, a remedy to get out of this broken world that has been broken by sin, so that we can be restored to the glory that God has had originally had minded for us in the beginning. So, I see the progression there. If we've jettisoned God, then we've jettisoned sin, and then therefore death actually has no more meaning. You know, because you know, it it, it would be a hopeless. It would that would be the hopeless thing if right. if I'm going to die. There's no there's no point to it. Well. You've you've subtracted the point for it in your own in your own understanding of reality.
0: You know, it's um, we're actually coming up against a break, and when we come back, um, I want to pick up off of this and move into the Catechism and see how that can sort of shape some of the the conversation as well. Um, there's so much there, and we haven't touched it yet, and so <laughs> we are going to get beyond the introduction today on the program. This is Tom Carnam with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. And we're reflecting on the um, the four last things death, judgment, heaven, and hell on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Nagel and Father Lewis. If you enjoy these programs, I do encourage you to go to mycatholicfaith.org. You can there click on Sound Insight and in, in the podcast, and you'll be able to um, sign up for the podcast, the Dr. Tom Curran podcast, where you'll get to enjoy these programs. I also encourage you to go to SacredHeartRadio.org. You can download the app for your phone. You can also get access to a number of saved programs on the Monday uh, on Monday programs on the book club. The the book club editions, uh, the Sacred Heart Radio book club's editions of Sound Insight uh, are available for you to listen to there as well. So, lots of wonderful resources to be found online. Go to MyCatholicFaith.org. I also love to hear from you. You can give me your feedback. You have an opportunity to contact me through that website so fathers here we are it's approaching the end of the liturgical year and um, we see lots of things changing around us um, and yet the ultimate things that really matter start to show up more clearly we see that in the world with things being stripped down well let's let those things be informed by faith and so when we go to the catechism in the first part on the profession of faith um, we talk about jesus christ that he will come again in glory Um, There are some beautiful paragraphs here, beginning at paragraph 688, no, sorry, 668. So I'm going to read it, and then, Father Lewis, you can share first, and then Father Nagel. Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Christ's ascension into heaven signifies his participation in his humanity and God's power and authority. Jesus Christ is Lord. He possesses all power in heaven and on earth. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. For the Father has put all things under his feet. Christ is Lord of the cosmos and of history. In him, human history and indeed all creation are set forth and transcendently fulfilled.
2: So in the context of talking about death, judgment, heaven and hell, the four last things, and uh, what stands out to me uh, in relation to that is um, Christ is Lord of the cosmos and of history and um it can be a temptation i uh, maybe to to see the decay of the world like in fall things are being stripped of their leaves and all that or or the death of a loved one and, and 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 there's you know particularly with death there's no return from that and and um and you know people's faith in the goodness of god and the and the power of god i understand but i think can be shaken in that and so just to be reminded and maybe it's just a gentle nudge of a reminder to, to to be told again that Christ actually is lord of of all of this though we cannot see all ends and we and we cannot uh, perceive the, you know what's god providence going on in this uh, the power of jesus working through all this but to be reminded that jesus is is lord of the cosmos and of history so every time and every place and uh, and jesus is lord and I don't know. For me, that, that's that's grand and that's huge. But for me, that's some you know that's enough for me to be reminded again and recomforted once again. Once again, uh, then dark days, missing someone who's died, or or despairing at the state of the world, or whatever. Jesus has got this in hand, and um and you know I can't fix it. So Lord, this is your world; you fix it. I'm going to bed. You know, classic prayer, of John the twenty-third, right? You
1: know, once Tom uh, some years back. Uh, again i don 't forget exactly when you asked you asked me and I think at the time uh, Pam Gunderson was on the on the team as well here in the radio uh, program and what our favorite feast day was and I, we both surprised you by saying Christ the King was our favorite feast day, and yours was Pentecost as i recall and um and you 're surprised by that, but I think this is a good gives a good reason for gets to my feelings of why this again there is a eschatological apocalyptic sense probably of me period but but also of this of this uh, feast day and so that's why i think it's important is that i would say the idea of uh, in christ human history and all creation are transcendently fulfilled um, not just ended um but fulfilled that th- this is the the summation of the story this is the this is the detective coming into the the drawing room and telling everybody what happened and revealing who did it you know and, and it just it's it's the fulfillment of the prophecy that is creation and so i you know i, I see this as a culmination of christ the king as a culmination and so in that sense i um this is something to be celebrated kind of like what you were just saying you know pray for it to come this is a good thing not a bad thing we wear white vestments on this feast day
0: so it's uh What you just said, Father Nagel, that's really striking because you're right. That's what I would have said then. And I'm like, if we slightly shifted the question and it was, what's the most important feast day to remember in these days? I think I would say Christ the King Um, for all kinds of reasons, right? In things that appear chaotic, to know that he has power and authority and is ruling and reigning over all. Is really super important. And for us individually to know in the individual circumstances of our own lives, to know that and to ask him. It's a prayer that I've prayed more in the last, I don't know, year and a half really than maybe I have ever is, Father, may your almighty hand of mercy, your almighty hand. So really calling upon his power, his almighty hand of mercy be over me and my family and over what's happening. That it's like, I want to live under your reign. I want to live under your rule. I want to live in the, under the kingdom where you have power. I've prayed that so like clearly, intentionally, um, and, and frequently in, in the past couple of years. Mm. And, and I think it's because things appear to be a little bit chaotic. But on another dimension, it's like, wait a minute, who, to whom am I bowing? Like in in the actual decisions we're making day to day regarding behaviors and attitudes regarding decisions for our lives. Am I really honoring Christ as King or am I straddling the issue and trying to have it both ways? Um, I think that that makes this feast just that much more important. Mm -hmm. What about you, Father
2: Lewis? I agree. i thought about that. You know, if, if, who to whom do I bow? Who is my highest um, sovereign? And um, I thought about these things. And it takes a great um, act of humility, I think, to to recognize that God is God and I am not, or or you are not, or he or she are not. You know, God is God. And um, you know, on the one hand, you know, how dare you? Of course, I'm the uh, self-autonomous one, or whatever. But but in the end, I, I for me, that's that's another source of comfort is that. Um, I don't have to be the one to to solve the problems and furthermore I can't I don't have the power but but Jesus can so please do. This is uh something actually it's a, a six word prayer I've heard from Father John Ricardo in a podcast earlier this week, you know, he came up with the six six word prayer. I can't, you can. Please do. And so I'm just going <laughs> to I thought it was great. Yeah. I
0: like that. I've yeah. never heard that. Yeah.
2: It's so just, you know, I can't figure this out, I can't do this, whatever it is, but, but you can, Jesus, because you're God and so please do. And uh and that's a self surrender, just let it go and let God and um I, I just take great comfort in that. And it is humili- it is humiliating if I think I'm all that in a in a bag of chips, but it's also humbling in a good sense too, of course, because I I just need to know my place and my place is underneath God's uh, gentle yoke.
0: That's kinda like uh, Father Ruitolo's prayer. Uh, that Jesus, you take over, right? <laughs> Jesus, I abandon myself to you. Yeah. Take care of everything. Mm. I, I, that that prayer. Are you familiar with that prayer, no. Father? Uh, fa- you have to look it up, Father Delindo Ruatolo, and it's a it's a Jesus, you take over, and I send that prayer. It's actually Jesus like talking to the soul, and that's the form of it. But it is so consoling to people who are in situations mm. that just feel out of control and it's jesus you take over and and jesus is saying say to me jesus you take over and i will take i will do it i will take care of everything as long as you just surrender and you leave it to me get it out of your hands when you worry about it you're taking it out of my hands it's a really really powerful prayer but it's not quite as you know succinct as i can't you can please do that's good i like that (laughs) that's really a wise man uh, Father Nagel, anything you wanted to say about that?
1: No, doesn't sound like a good prayer, though. I think, yeah. I, I think I had heard of the Ricardo prayer before somewhere, but it, it brought it back, and I, yeah, it's hard not to be able to memorize that.
2: Yeah,
0: that is super simple. Okay, we're going to jump to 670. Uh, since the ascension, and Father Nagel, you go first this time. Since the ascension, God's plan has entered into its fulfillment. We are already at the last hour. Already the final age of the world is with us and the renewal of the world is irrevocably underway. It is even now anticipated in a certain real way, for the church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real but imperfect. Christ's kingdom already manifests its presence through the miraculous signs that attend its proclamation by the church.
1: I think, I, I, you know, somebody, me, Probably too, but somebody reading or listening to that say, "So this is already the last hour." Well, the last hours taken a long time. Uh, we don't, but it's true that the situation's changed now, so it just takes a little bit to finish it. Um, you know, God has, to, you know, Christ needs to come back, and it's all over. But it's all over, but uh, Him coming back, Um He's He could do it any time. That's we are in that sense of it could happen anytime time because. We are in the last hour. It just in, in the fact that you know it's been two thousand years. doesn't change the fact that all, that he's ready and it could happen at any time. The other thing I think is something we've always you know in past shows, and just a lot of what you talk about, Tom, is the, this is the, the quest for and opening the opening eyes of miraculous signs. because I think again, Christ's kingdoms already manifest its presence through miraculous signs that attend this proclamation by the church. I think not enough enough of us have experienced that or believe that they say well it used to be that way but again, talking about the Holy Spirit and in the way in which uh, today's miraculous signs and wonders are happening, I think that's an important message so that this paragraph makes more sense to people
0: yes Father I'm gonna uh, Father Lewis I'm gonna ask you to hold off um, because we're We are at the imminent approach of a commercial break here. We have to take a break, and when we come back, it's upon us. Then we'll give you a chance to reflect on the last hour. The last hour. Back in a minute with more sound insights. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel, and we're reflecting on the four last things and uh, paragraph six seventy. Father Lewis, anything you want to share about that?
2: Yeah, I was struck by uh, the repetition of already. I, I, I counted, there's four instances of already, already we're at the last hour, already the final age, um, and um, the renewal, uh, even now, so there's a, a variation of already, even now, anticipate in a certain real way, the church is endowed already, Christ's kingdom already manifests, and and the repetition of that, uh, just as you were reading it, Tom, was um, enhancing in me a, a, this heightened sense of urgency, this urgency that... Um, at any moment, the curtains drop, and um, am I going to be ready? Am I living? Am I living now um, as if as if I'm about ready to meet Christ face to face and face judgment and please God enter into the kingdom? You know, I we're all uh, pretty preoccupied with living well, and um, you know, I want to be able to to die well so as to live well. If I can f- focus on. What is it going to mean to die well? What am I doing to live toward that, so that I can, as much as I can, in cooperation with God's grace, be assured that I'm, I've done what I can, and and uh, thank you God for your help, and um, you you, <laughs> you take it from here. There's nothing more I can do, and uh, but you know, do I feel? Do I really feel that sense of urgency to to always be living life well, so as to die well, in every moment? And and so hearing this gave me a, a sense of urgency, like. Everything I do, not that I need to be obsessed or paranoid about it, but as a second nature, everything that I say or do is it, is it geared toward the glory of God and the coming of the kingdom. And um, I can't honestly say that that's the case, but I this reminds me to get on it.
0: Well, it's uh, it's the um, it is the uh, what's it called? It's the complement to the growth and development of the kingdom. It's called the proleptic mm. manifestation, which is. The manifestation of what is real and present, but in a hidden state. Mm -hmm. And so, history is, is the unfolding of what is actually ultimately real and ultimately at work, but not yet fully manifest. So prolepsis okay there we go Um, but with that said i'm going to jump to i'm going to jump all the way down to paragraph 675 the church's ultimate trial this is one of the most um, striking paragraphs in the entire catechism that's pretty big
2: that's a bold statement that's a
0: bold statement okay now listen to it and then see if you agree and then talk about it and, and because you said that father lewis you go first okay Uh, 675. Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God, and is of of his Messiah come in the flesh.
2: Mm-hmm. What struck me immediately is the first sentence. Is uh, this sure feels like the trial that we're going through? That's promised here. Uh, what what the church is going through right now? The clerical sex abuse. The confusion of what we actually believe. The the lack of clarity in some. Certain circles and the the bishops are going to be at it again you know, this coming week, I think, or next week on um, Eucharistic co- co- cohesion, coherence, coherence. Excuse me. Well, um, there I, I can't the even get it right. It wasn't very
0: cohesive. Yeah. Or was it? Was it not very coherent?
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 and you know, and uh, you know, there's you know, the church says this, but then you know, prominent people claiming to be members of the church live that and. And uh, is this the is this the final trial? Because it sure feels like a severe one. So as Father Nagel said earlier, if we're gonna just go from catastrophe to catastrophe to catastrophe, and then Christ comes again, if if this isn't the final trial, then egads, what will the final trial be?
0: It's a good point. Father Nagel.
2: I
1: you know the I, I would say what we're experiencing now is kind of a buildup. Uh, for the final trial, I think, in the sense of, you know, this is, I could I say, kind of decadence without the actual collapse. I mean, I think the it collapse would be chaotic in terms of violence and hunger. I mean, it, I think it would be much worse than what we're experiencing here. But, it's you know, we have the the, the, uh, the preparation for it in terms of uh, institutional and other historical factors. But I was just st- stressing, the for my, in my own mind, the idea of apostasy, um, and I, I, and again, whether this is the final apostasy, I think it certainly is an age of apostasy um, that I see that in our church, I see it around the world, um, and it's you know indifferent, you know, not just in the Catholic Church, other churches. I, I just see this falling away, um, yeah, in just in terms of generational. Uh, things and so I, I, I do I do pray against apostasy I say you know the uh, faith is a gift and we need to pray for faith and in, in this time because I do think it's just a difficult environment for faith to to survive and to thrive it's really challenging so I, for me that that, that that is a famous paragraph for me too that's something I've almost memorized
0: so I want to uh, dig into this you said the word apostasy a lot of folks listening are like What's apostasy? Is that the same thing as schism? Is that the same thing? You know, uh, what is a what is apostasy? What? Can you give an example of it today?
1: Well, I, I think schism is, is actually still remaining Christian, but not no longer being part of the church in terms of its fullness and obeying the Pope and these sorts of things. So you're splitting away from the church, but you're still c- confessing Christ at some level. Uh, the Catholic Church would consider Eastern Orthodox, for instance, schismatic. Say certainly the validity of the sacraments is there, but they, they're not in full communion because of, of those factors. But in the apost- in heretic... Is, uh, I won't go into the heretics, but but in terms of apostasy, that means you abandon the faith in Christ as well. You used to, you, you, at one point you were, and now you say I no longer believe in Catholicism or Christianity at all. And I think that it, if you want to look at that, I, I would just say in terms of nations, look at Western Europe. These are uh, nations of apostasy: France, Spain, you know, Italy, whatever you want to say. That's in terms of nations, but an individual, there's all sorts of people I meet every day from my own parishes and others where I say, you know, I don't go to church anymore because I don't believe anymore. Um, I, I don't believe Christ is Lord. And so that's apostasy is, is just saying, and it can happen in a sort of defiant way, or it can you can just drift into apostasy where I just say, you know what, we're just, I, I woke up and I just don't have the faith anymore. I don't believe it.
0: Well, let's take a look at this paragraph. It talks about a religious deception— and this, So there's something religious about it. There's some kind of connection to an ultimate reality or God. And it's a deception, though. So it's not the truth. It's not what God has revealed. It's not what the church teaches. But it's offering something. And What's it offering? An apparent solution. It's not a real solution, but an apparent solution to actually real problems that human beings are facing. And if they're going to embrace that, that doctrine and maybe its manifestation in life, it's going to be a betrayal of the faith. So I just say, as a for instance, the idea that you can be Catholic and pro-abortion is is a lie, and that's a form of apostasy. So to say, oh yeah, no, no, I'm a Catholic and I, I accept the reality of abortion. That, for me, is a deception. And it's a deception that people will actually use religious language to promote, and they'll do so in the name of solving an apparent problem. Namely, a woman has a uh you know an unexpected and um a distressing pregnancy and as a result of that let's solve that problem and so so for me that that's not it's not often talked about like that but the idea that you would promote abortion as acceptable and as something that is able to be lived as a catholic and to say you're a faithful catholic that's apostasy there i said it what do you think about that father lewis
2: yeah, I would I would agree. I think that uh, I was thinking a, a kind of more global. You know, there's and it's getting a resurgence. Uh, you know, people think that they can be um, a, a communist in their out and their outlook and approach to to um, living in the world or or affecting the world the, the world's direction and be a good Christian at the same time. And um, whole countries have gone apostate uh, over that, as we know, and, and individuals continue to do that and and what's the what's the uh, what's the uh, deception the deception is that uh, you know religion is holding us back um uh, we can self actualize and and the apparent solution is that we jettison god um individually and on a global scale and that we set up our own utopia and um anyway that's that's another example that i was thinking and uh, communism is not some dinosaur anymore. I mean, it's, it, you know, it keeps trying to crop up in different ways in, in, even in our own American politics. And um, that was the example I was thinking of at the same time. We got lots of um, self-proclaimed Catholics who are vocalizing a very uh, communistic uh, worldview.
0: Well, we're up against a break on that really happy note there, Father. Thank you for that. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue this conversation and, and uh, maybe take one more paragraph as well. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern with Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis, on this Monday morning edition. And we're reflecting on some of the aspects of Christ and his glorious return and how that is the uh, manifestation of the end of the world. Um, I've got one more, uh, one more paragraph I want to get into under the Church's Ultimate Trial. It's 677, and this is another one of those, like, whoa, strong paragraphs. The church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover, when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. The kingdom will be fulfilled then, not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause the bride, his bride, to come down from heaven. God's triumph over the uh, revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. I guess whoever wrote those paragraphs was probably having a bad day, right? <laughs> <laughs> Father Nagel, what do you think about this?
1: Oh, that's that's where the paragraph, from what I'm saying, is that it's going to be really bad in, in a sense of the church loses. I think it's something... Now, Christ wins, and you can say the church triumphs because of the body of Christ, but it's not like there's going to be suddenly more and more Catholics, and people are going to convert, and pretty soon here on earth, things are going to get better. Um, I don't think that's how it ends. It gets worse and worse and worse, and then it ends. Um, and so, in that sense, it's, you know, Tolkien used to call about the long defeat, um, that again, in earthly terms, we lose. In, in the ultimate terms, we win. And so, you sort of have to take that into your account of saying, you know, we're not guaranteed happiness or, or a smooth ride or pleasure here on this earth. Quite the contrary. Um, that's the trajectory. It's not like, you know, the arc tends towards goodness and happiness. No, it doesn't. It, it, it does. It, so, I, I think that's a, a bracing paragraph. But, but again, that idea of how do you think the end, yeah, is it a happy ending? Yes. But... Not the way you think it is.
0: Well, it's just why I'm saying it is. Um, when the you know a church puts together a five-year plan, typically that plan involves the church growing in numbers, growing in uh, effect, growing in the number of like programs and initiatives, and it's leading to all these advances. Uh, that's a very, I, I don't, I've never done strategic planning with any church that said, okay, in year two, we have persecution and yeah. year three, we're going to have the great stripping down and, and, uh, people falling away year four, we're going to get attacked publicly because of our witness to the faith. And then in year five, we're going to be scattered to the four winds because of the attacks that are going to come against us, right? That's not how we think about things. What do you think about that? Father Lewis, is that part of your five-year plan?
2: Uh, it will be now. We got to prepare. <laughs> but what's funny? Uh, what I was uh, smiling at is that uh, that five year plan almost it almost sounds like what uh, what Cardinal Francis George had uh, kind of famously said when he was talking about the state of things in our society. He said, "I will die comfortably in my bed. My successor will die in prison. His successor will be martyred on the streets of the cathedral, and his successor will bring about renewal in the church post persecution." So it's almost like he. For the Archdiocese of Chicago, came out with at least a four-year plan or a four-bishop plan, and and uh, he had that. I guess he had that view in mind that things are going to get worse, and the only thing that's going to make it good again is is Christ Himself coming again in final victory. And um, and then I was also thinking of um, there's a a great. Uh, I think it's pretty good. A, a, a Catholic writer wrote a a fiction on the kind of the uh, ap- apocalyptic times. and he, It's called Father Elijah by Michael O'Brien, and there's a striking image that I haven't forgotten reading that is that the main character, I think, he had a vision or a dream of, of um, in a crater uh, caused by a bombshell. There's mass being said, and the priest is wearing all white, and there's two people there. And that priest is the pope, and there's like the two remnant. That's how, that's how bad things are going to get where there's no more St. Peter's Basilica. This is the basilica, this crater shell, a shell crater. Um, but, you know, there's still this idea of hope. Christ is going to triumph.
0: Well, uh, unfortunately, well, well, Christ is going to triumph. That's where we're ending. Uh, unfortunately, we're up against the end of the program. Father Nagel, I'll give you 10 more seconds.
1: Christ, come. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Yes. Amen. Yeah, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. Well, thank you all so much for, uh, thank you, Father, for being with me today. Thank you all so much for listening. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.